0: Hey, and welcome to the Believers Be Heard show. We are in season two, and this should be episode two. We actually have uh, Grace Ann on today. And Grace Ann is uh, an attendee of Emergence Church in Totowa, I believe. Yes. And she also works in Hobby Lobby. And one of the fun facts that she decided to share about her was that she loves to do arts of all types. Mm-hmm. So if you were to name one of the types of arts that you do in your free time, what would it be?
1: Um, Crocheting is one of the ones I've been doing a lot recently. I mean, if during sermons and everything, you'll see me doing it. In, really? In church even, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Do you knit? Uh, yeah, I do that as well, but I do crocheting more often. You do crocheting more often? Mm-hmm. You know that the last person I had on this podcast has a, a knitting club that meets in Bougain? Is it Dakota? Yeah.
1: Yeah, people have been telling me.
0: <laughs> yeah, she has a name, so you should you should jump in on that. That's kinda mm-hmm. cool. Um, awesome. So let's just jump into the question of the day. Mm-hmm. How did you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior?
1: I don't remember how young I was, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, according to my parents, I made as much of a profession of faith as you can make at like three or four years old. Um, I don't know. It wasn't as far as I know, there wasn't any one particular incident where I became a Christian. It was just like, that was how old I was when I was able to understand salvation.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you remember it or it's more like your parents had just told you?
1: My parents told me um, the furthest back I can remember actually thinking about salvation and understanding it and stuff. I was about 8 years old. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, somewhere between 3 and 8. Somewhere between 3
0: and 8, yeah. That's yeah. that's awesome. So, when you were like 8, that was just thinking about salvation, but you don't really remember um, having a moment with that either?
1: Yeah, it's because when I was 8, that was when I started going to Bible camp and stuff like that and okay. hearing gospel presentations. Gotcha. Um and like I already was a believer, so
0: Okay, yeah. yeah. So, like, when the inv- invitation, like, came or something, you were like, oh, I already, yeah, I'm already believe." Yeah. It. That's pretty, honestly, even for an eight-year-old, that's pretty mm-hmm. legit to have, like, an assurance of salvation yeah. or, or an understanding that you don't need to raise your hand again if uh-huh. they give you the invitation to raise your hand because mm-hmm. as someone who, you know, frequently gives invitations to receive Christ to, mm-hmm. you know, youth and stuff, I get kids who, are like, raise their hand every time kind of thing, yeah. you know?
1: yeah my 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 brother told me that one time he raised his hand and the you know people pulled him aside they're like you want to get saved? He's like, No I just wanted to see what would happen. I'm already saved
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah
1: it was like that um yeah I was just a deep thinker from a from a very young age I've always had health problems, so the way it was explained to me was that like because I have always been chronically ill and stuff like that, that my brain developed more so than my body. Like, I was very late to start walking, but very early to start speaking. Interesting. As a, as a, like a toddler. Yeah. So, yeah, always been a deep thinker, which, you know, when you have mental health issues kind of yeah. <laughs> becomes pros, pros a cons. blessing and a curse. Yeah, pros so. and cons of
0: that, that kind of thing. Um, gotcha. So you grew up in a Christian household – Mm -hmm. Um, accepted Christ early on, went to Bible camps. Was that the kind of thing that you were, like, excited about, going to Bible camps? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, I I was always at Bible camp. Like, my parents would volunteer there when I was, like, a toddler, and they'd bring me with them even though I wasn't old enough to, like, attend. And then, Mm. you know, once I was old enough to attend – You know, I was a camper, and then I became staff. And I think um, the pandemic onward was the first summers that I wasn't there. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. So you've been, like, in the weeds for, like, a long time.
1: Yeah, especially since um, I was uh, homeschooled my entire life. So um, a lot of my social life was through church. Mm. Uh, We went to homeschool group. But Like co-ops I, and stuff? Co-ops, you know, once or twice a week I was seeing my homeschool friends. But my main friend group was at church, and I was at church, I'd say, probably three times a week okay, for yeah. the majority of my life.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty—and were your parents in ministry, or they were just, like, heavily involved? In, like, were, were they staff members of a church, or were they just heavily involved in the church?
1: They were involved. Um, one thing about the, uh, the Brethren, uh, the Plymouth Brethren— Uh, For people who don't know, uh, in that denomination, they don't have any clergy. They typically don't have any full-time staff. Okay. Um, The only, like, paid staff is missionaries. Okay. But, um, so, you know, everybody's helping out. There is people that you could consider elders and deacons, Mm -hmm. but they're not, it's not like an official title. So, yes, my parents did have some of those deacon kind of responsibilities. Yeah. So, yeah. Um but yeah, they they'd be involved in like helping plan things. My mom has been the treasurer of that church for a while. My dad would sometimes give sermons. Um hmm. and yeah, it wasn't yeah. They were they were bringing me and my siblings there, and it wasn't like they were trying to just make us be religious. Like they were, they were wholeheartedly in it and wanted us to to be there too. Um, it was a little difficult when you know once I got a little older as a teenager, I didn't want to be at everything, mm. um, but. You know, my dad would always be pushing me to go anyway because he's like, it's not about whether or not you like it; it's about hearing the word, it's about glorifying God, and this and that. And I'm like, yes, mm. but I, I need to finish this essay. Um, yeah, okay. and stuff so, like that. Yeah. So, mm. so, like when you
0: got to like kind of your teenage years, your interests were divided almost. Yeah,
1: and I still, I still want to go to church because, like I said, mm-hmm. that was my main friend group. Um, yeah, but. Um my parent, you know my parents, especially my dad, uh, really pushing hard for us to pursue God was overall a good thing, um, but it led to some disagreements as a teenager.
0: Mm, I think it's kind of natural. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you had your progression, you went from being a three to eight year old and receiving like Christ Mm -hmm. as your savior and enjoying that like space, going Mm -hmm. to camp and like wanting to be there to then being a teenager to having like now kind of choose, you almost had like this Mm. liberty of being able to be like, okay, I need to do like my homework and I need to do these priorities, but like I still want to go to church, it's just balancing the two.
1: Yeah, I didn't really feel like I was at liberty to choose in a sense. Okay. Like, like um, if, if I really did not want to go to church or I really had something I desperately needed to finish, sometimes I would fake sick, like you would fake sick to stay home from school. Okay. I would fake sick to stay home from church. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was how I dealt with it. It was... I mean I'm not I think my parents did a good job overall I think that them you know really strongly encouraging us to be spiritually involved was a good thing overall Mm -hmm. it's just I could have used a break every once in a while yeah Um, yeah so it when I was a kid I just you know, believed it, like, you You know, you have the faith of a child, you're just like, oh, Jesus saved me, and he loves me, and I love God, and, you know, it's simple, and once I became a teenager, it was, you know, you'd start to get more social awareness, and you care a lot about your friends, and your friends' opinions, and stuff like that, and, um, yeah, I think that's, there when I started to There are are certain things throughout my life that, um, that these false beliefs I picked up from the adults around me or from my little subculture and stuff that they didn't intend to teach me, sort of. Mm. Um, One of them was that like the brethren are the most Christian Christians that there are, sort of, like they're the most correct. And if you ask anybody in the brethren, they'll be like, No, we're not the only Christians. There you know, there are other believers in other denominations and and such. Um but like if you weren't talking about it directly the way that they would talk about like, say, the Catholic Church or mm-hmm. um charismatic churches, you know, sort of implied that we were um the ones who really understood the Bible, who are really following the Bible as it was originally intended. Mm. Um, Which, I mean, everybody's trying to interpret the Bible as best they can, so of course you're going to go with the church that you think is most correct. Yeah. But um, if yet, sometimes that can, I guess, become... I don't know, a little bit exclusive, a little bit separatist, where you think like, oh, we're we're the correct ones, and then you don't like. I don't know. The brethren have lot have had lots of splits over minor points of doctrine, be-
0: and mm.
1: they're really passionate about the Bible, yeah, which I admire, and they're like really trying to get it right. But then, like, they'll have disagreements about very minor things because they don't really. Uh, well, as Pastor Ryan at um, Emergence would say, holding certain doctrine with an open hand, Yeah. like being open to disagreement on things.
0: Um, like primary, secondary.
1: Yeah, primary, secondary, third level. Like, you know, at Emergence, for example, they're like, we all believe that God created the earth. Yeah. We don't have an official stance on how or how long it took. And like if you ask the individual pastors they have their
0: perspectives. they have their
1: perspectives on that they have their views but as a church as a whole they don't really have an official stance because it's not important to the core of the gospel whether whether or not evolution happened okay. it's important that God created the earth okay um but if you talk to the brethren about a similar thing I remember there was one time we were you know just kind of hanging out mm. um, and someone a guy around my age was like yeah i think i think evolution could have happened i think god could have evolved the animals mm-hmm. um so sort of theistic evolution and like immediately three people whipped out their bibles and they were like no it wasn't it was cre- the earth was created in 6 days and here's why
0: gotcha um so that's like the almost like um it's like the strict parameters that are kind of set within the brethren how did mm-hmm. that so like knowing all that background information Mm -hmm. right like how did that impact your faith as it was developing right in your teenage years because that's kind of that's like the time period Mm -hmm. that we're in right now right so like what was the impact of that did that bring you closer to your relationship with christ or did that almost like bring you further was that like a neutral ground um
1: i think it didn't necessarily bring me closer or further in my young teen years uh the beliefs i picked up at this part of my life had a big effect later they're gonna come they're gonna come into play later
0: okay so the like what we're learning about now yes is like a play in later kind of thing gotcha um
1: i think i think the core falsehood i guess you could say uh that got lodged in my brain was this sort of equivalence of christians and god you know that if Christians are supposed to be mirroring God in terms of behavior and such, that um, how other Christians feel about me is how God feels about me.
0: Mm, or what
1: okay. or what the brethren say that God wants from me is exactly what God wants from me. Okay. Um, in a sense, I feel like that didn't directly re- affect my relationship with God as a teenager- other than that, sometimes I didn't really have to go to God to know what he wanted, so to speak. Because, so, like, if someone was like, oh, you know, uh, women's calling is to, you know, um, work in kids, men, and, um, you know, eventually become a wife and mother, I was like, oh, okay. That's what God wants from me.
0: Okay, so it was you like th- it was like that kind of direction where it was like um what the brethren might say about you is like Mm -hmm. the um, the principles they believe women would walk through so it's like women are Mm -hmm. meant to be mothers and work in children's ministry and men are meant to do like it was it was role heavy so you you didn't necessarily have to wonder what is my role in the church Uh
1: and yeah because of the uh sort of pretty well-defined roles. I didn't really have to wonder, like, okay, what does God want me to do with my life? Yeah. And because um, all the, you know, they had very specific uh, doctrine that was usually more of a literal interpretation of things. Gotcha. I didn't, there wasn't things I had to sit down and figure out, okay, what do I believe about this? Yeah. You know? Um, And it's not like I didn't question anything. There were certain things where I would go to the, you know, go to the elders and be like, okay, so why do we do this thing? And then they'd explain it to me. Um, but there wasn't really any back and forth about different viewpoints on things. Cause okay. There usually seemed to be one viewpoint. In my head, I can I can hear them right now. They're like, oh, we disagree about some things, like whether or not Christians should vote. Um, But that, that's like a... That's like a... Th- I don't want to say very minor because it's important, but like it's not the most important. And I feel like there was definitely some things that aren't as clear cut as they made it out to be.
0: Mm. Do you think, um, what do you think the, I'll start with benefits were of, Growing up in a structure like that, do you think there were any benefits to growing up in a, in a structure where roles were clearly defined and there wasn't really the need to wonder about what it was that God was maybe calling you to do?
1: I think that definitely for some people, they just naturally fit into those roles and they have a great time and, you know, that's what God wants them to do, um, and, I don't know necessarily about the structure, but I did benefit from it being a small church and, you know, a string of small churches where you knew everybody. It was like an extended family. Yeah. And also, um, they were pretty hardcore about teaching us the Bible. Like like other homeschool moms from other churches were like surprised at how much me and my brother knew. Mm. And they were like, oh, what curriculum do you use? And my mom was like, I don't, I don't, give them a curriculum. We We just just go go to to church. church. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, like, I did learn a lot about the Bible, just, you know, just reading through it and stuff like that. And, like, by the time you're 14, um, you know, because it was a small church, they couldn't split it up into small age groups. So everyone, sometimes it was all of the high schoolers and then all of the college and above, but sometimes it was legit everybody from... Uh like fourteen to thirty five wow, in a Bible study, so essentially you know as a as a thirteen or fourteen year old they would just start bringing you up to the level of the adult bible yeah. studies, wow, which was pretty cool. I mean, women weren't allowed to talk during Bible study, gotcha, so it kind of sucked for me in that way but in in terms of covering pretty you know in-depth material at a young age. It was pretty great.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's, we're starting to get like a little bit more of a picture painted about what kind of um, structure and roles were kind of painted. Now I kind of know what you're saying by like literally, you know, interpreting parts of the scripture Mm -hmm. in terms of you saying that you couldn't. So no women were allowed to speak during Bible studies.
1: No, that's not true of all brethren churches, but it was true of the ones that I grew up in. That they took, um, you know, stuff in the epistles, in Paul's letters, that said that um, I do not permit a woman to teach a man. And then there's another one about um, at that the women should be silent uh, in the church. I don't know the references offhand, but essentially the thinking was like, hey, he said that women shouldn't speak, so the women shouldn't speak. Yeah. Um, and also they also took the, uh, part about a woman not holding authority over a man, um, in taking that literally, they're like, okay, uh, women can teach the kids, but they can't teach boys like 14 and up or so. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So, um, so then, okay. So that's like where you are in mm-hmm. your teenage years, you're sitting in on, were you part of the group that would be sitting in, in in bible studies from 13 to 35 kind of thing were you in that space or were yeah you... the 13 to
1: 35 was like the they called it young people's but it was like teen college young adult yeah sometimes they would split us up more into smaller groups than that by age but yeah and it was like yeah you got to hear some more in-depth stuff and then you know it was kind of like having older cousins, you know. Yeah. Just having all the young adults there as a teenager.
0: I imagine that like gives opportunity for more intentional mentorship. You would think. <laughs> you okay?
1: But... Um, I, there was definitely was some. Um. Uh, there were some some older, quote unquote cousins. Um, er- a lot of people in the church were literally cousins and second cousins of each other i didn't have any actual cousins there but gotcha okay if it it, it was you know almost like older cousins and there was some of the young women that did you know go out of their way to um you know to teach us and sometimes they'd be like oh this season let's split the girls off and have a a girls bible study or something like that and they did put effort into that but uh then they would get married and just kind of
0: It'd be harder for them. Yeah, it'd
1: be harder for them, or they would move or something. So, mm. yeah. And I, mean, I, I, do think that the uh, the the boys and the young men did get more intentional mentorship because uh, because it's lay led and there's no pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, they needed a lot of a lot of the men in the church to participate, and so they were sort of training up um, a lot of the young men. You know, my brother and my friends to be the future leaders of the church Yeah. so they would definitely um, check in and answer questions and me if I had questions you know I could go to them and they would answer them they, you know they would you know If but that was like if I came to them like they weren't
0: they weren't pursuing you
1: yeah they weren't training me Yeah. for anything in particular yeah
0: know? which based off of their views mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense that right to some capacity their priority wouldn't necessarily be in that yeah. space not to say that that's yeah, and either again, right or wrong but yeah
1: again it's something where if you ask them directly is a girl's spiritual life it, as important as boys and they'd be like oh yeah definitely and you should teach both of them and they yeah. should all be knowledgeable mm-hmm. but in practice because they needed the young men to learn to participate they got more of the mentorship gotcha gotcha
0: hmm. so then how does that kind of transition you into like the next portion of your of your life uh-huh. um, or maybe even I guess like a a question would be like you know you're saying that you I think a part of a part of you that you haven't really touched on since earlier on was that you're saying that you're struggling with different health issues and stuff like that did that yeah play a there, part there
1: was definitely a, a turning point both in you know just going from oh, this is how it is, Uh, and, you know, just being fine with everything to everything after. Um, I think that there were probably multiple things that happened. Uh, One was just a genetic predisposition to Mm. mental health issues. Mm. Um, Another was that I had social anxiety, which was, for the record, not because I was homeschooled, But because I was homeschooled, I didn't really have to address it that much. Gotcha. Um, So, you know, I was very shy. um, And I just had one group of friends that I had been friends with since I was four. I couldn't remember life before that. Mm. Um, We were pretty close. Uh, We would make jokes sometimes about retiring to the same nursing home and, like, being like, oh, put a quarter in the jukebox and turn on some One Direction.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 that's kind of great. So,
1: like, you know, I I had always had these same friends and assumed I was going to have these same friends for literally my entire life. Mm. Um, uh, but then, like, when I was... I was a senior, so I must have been 16. Yeah, I was around 16, um... I was a year ahead academically hmm. and also a year older than all the rest of them. So they were like sophomores and I was a senior and that was, it started to feel a little weird. Cause like I was trying to pick a college and they were, um, they weren't, they were just doing normal high school things. Yeah. Um, I felt there was starting to become a little bit of a maturity gap Mm. But I was like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, it's fine. Like, yeah. Whatever. Um, but then um, a little bit of drama came up, and in hindsight, it really wasn't a huge thing, but there was sort of a breakdown of trust between us and I being, you know, having social anxiety and having only this a few friends my entire life and never having to make new friends and stuff like that. I just had no um, conflict resolution skills. Okay. Um, I won't get into the specifics of everything that went down cause like it's not.
0: Yeah, yeah, you don't have to.
1: It's not important yeah. um, and it'll make me upset even though it seems petty in hindsight, but. Um,
0: conflict resolution skills.
1: Yeah, no, it just they, they were really mad at me,
0: hmm.
1: um, and behaved really passive-aggressively. Hmm. And to this day, I don't fully understand why. Um, and it still affects me, it still affects me pretty deeply, Yeah. whenever I think about it. I mean, I've forgiven them, I, I've talked to some of them since then, not about specifically, But I've, like, hung out with some of them since then, and it's fine. But, you know, when they were teenagers, they didn't... Teenagers have no wisdom, <laughs> I guess you could say. Like, teenage girls especially, like, they learn how to be hurtful mm. and how to manipulate and how to make people angry and stuff like that, but they don't understand or they don't think about the impact that any of that has on people. So, yeah, but, yeah, it was really rough for me because those were my, I can't say my only friends, but, like, my main close friends. Yeah. And when I told my parents that they were being very passive-aggressive and, you know, Uh, One was sending me pretty harsh messages on Facebook and stuff like that. Um, My dad said that he thought I was mature enough to deal with it myself, Mm -hmm. which I wasn't. That's why I was asking for help. And I think, I don't know, throughout that entire conflict or series of conflicts, I think the adults around us thought like, oh, you know, it's just some teenage drama you know just some interpersonal thing that they'll work out and to an extent it kind of was but because coming back to this um ingrained belief that I had picked up that the brethren are the most Christian and you know equating Christians I know with God I was like so we're supposed to be different we're supposed to be like Christ, you know, we're supposed to have the love of God, but these girls at my church aren't, they aren't different, you know, and it's sort of like this, in trying to reconcile that, it was almost like I felt that God doesn't change people,
0: Hmm.
1: that Christians aren't better than non-Christians, which, I mean, there is a little bit of truth to that. We're all sinners. Um, and, like, the adults around us weren't doing anything, or at least nothing that I knew about. Um, and, again, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I think it's because they didn't think that there was any sort of major problem. But mm. um, at the time, it felt like they didn't care. Uh, and their recommendations to just reconcile, um, you know, telling me to try and become friends with them again uh, felt like they were saying that um, I was equally at fault mm. or that it didn't matter or something like that.
0: Mm. Um how much of that do you still feel? Do you still feel like those things are true, or do you feel like it was perspective of the time?
1: I think um, reconciling would not have been would was not the best call, and I didn't really try to reconcile because they were really the way they were behaving towards me. They were making it clear that they didn't really want to be friends with me anymore. And so, if I had tried harder to still be friends with them, that wouldn't have really worked because reconciliation has to be mutual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. I think that maybe the adults would have done more if they had
0: understood
1: how deeply it was affecting me. Mm. Um, like I said, I have, like, a predisposition to mental illness, and this is where it kind of started to pick up because this was happening around the same time that I graduated from homeschooling and started going to college. So mm. I went from, you know, a whole cluster of homeschool friends down to, like, one. Yeah. Um, and also at church, you know, since I had stopped eventually, you know, after trying to... Um, you know continue being friends with them and like being paralyzed in around them because like I had so much anxiety that I would say something that would m- make them dislike me even more
0: mm.
1: you know and eventually I kind of gave up on that but it being a small church there wasn't really a lot of other people my age I mean there was but they were like a little bit older than me Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it just kind of, I was, I, my parents still had me going to church like three times a week, except now I was avoiding my main friend group. Yeah. Um, And that's when me and my dad started having a little, you know, conflict sounds a little extreme. I wasn't really conflict, but disagreements about how much I should be going. Because, like, since I was avoiding them and going there would give me anxiety or sometimes I would you know during coffee break I would just kind of hide in the bathroom to not have to deal with it um you know I didn't really want to go as much and my dad would always be like no you have to it's not about you it's about God it's about this and that um I was kind of starting to again there like nobody said this to me but I was sort of getting this sort of perspective that um, God didn't particularly care about my individual life in a sense Mm. that like he was like here's what you have to do see you in heaven bye Uh, you know sort of like a a deist perspective almost that God isn't personally involved Mm. with people and I think that kind of tied in because you know I was seeing Christians in my life as very direct representations of God and this impression that I got that the adults didn't care about what was happening to me kind of made me think that God didn't care Yeah. you know and they were like oh you're you, you know the Bible says this so you have to do this so I was like okay so God wants this from me and that's basically it um yeah so I started from there on I started getting depressed I at the time didn't fully know what depression was Mm -hmm. um like you know everybody knows like oh some people are sad and some people kill themselves and this and that but like I wasn't educated on what mental illness looks like Mm. um Because, like, I was homeschooled. It wasn't like we, you know, we didn't have to have anti-bullying campaigns. Yeah. We didn't have mental health awareness or anything like that. Um,
0: Just so you know, even in public schools, we did have those and...
1: Probably didn't help, but, like...
0: (laughs) I am pretty sure Yeah, I
1: have heard that I've heard that that doesn't help too much, but you know, they at had like least a, it
0: was mentioned. They had like a cow come in and he was teaching us about mental health and I was like, "What does this have to do with <laughs> anything?"
1: Yeah, and in the church it wasn't mentioned either. I almost got the impression that they assumed that none of us struggled with it. Mm. Cuz they were like, "Oh, we're Christians. We so have the joy of Jesus." Yeah. Um Yeah, mm. I took me a while to realize what it was. I didn't fully realize I was depressed until it was suicidal.
0: So, I, I yeah, sorry, I was just gonna say, I, I guess, um, I, just to uh, take a minute to uh, kind of process what it is that you've said thus far so i just know that i'm on the same page as you right um what one you know you're saying that uh, pretty much like one of the more like defining moments in your life that maybe amplified a perspective that you already had or mm-hmm. brought about consequential mm-hmm. thoughts that were rooted in previous understandings so like the mm-hmm. um you know the what your perspective was of the brethren was that right the association of the christians were so closely tied to god that their perspective of you defined god's perspective of you yeah and so what i what the, so if that's correct that i think that's really interesting because uh, i know that there's this whole other group of people Who have that same struggle, but they tend to have that with like parental figures, um, because Mm -hmm. you know people who maybe have like issues with their father tend Mm -hmm. to have a hard time when someone says like God is your father. They're like, "What the heck are you talking about? God's my father. I don't want. I don't want a dad like that. I've had a dad, you know." Mm -hmm. Um, What uh, I guess, how is it? Well, I guess you can't really. I can't really ask this question yet because you're still going through this process of about talking about the consequences. But I guess as you go through that process of talking mm-hmm. about the consequences, my question that's lingering in my mind is like, how do you overcome that perspective of Christians defining God's perspective of you?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm getting to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm get, getting just, there. I'm just glad um, that.
0: I just wanted to make sure that we were kind of on the same page yeah. I was tracking with what you're saying.
1: Yeah, but it was like just this, you know, the one thing that like, Oh, Christians equal God um, was really. It really was amplified by like the depression and anxiety because depression and anxiety are liars. Yeah, they will take any situation, and it's almost as if you have this, you know, little
0: like angel y- demon kind angel, of thing on angel angel demon
1: kind of thing. Yeah, telling you like. You know, if if the adults weren't getting involved because they didn't think anything, they didn't think anything was wrong, they'd be like, "Oh, it's because they don't, it's because they don't care about you," or something like that. Or if if so, I don't know, if someone was talking to me and they had to leave for something, you know, and they left, they, I'd be like, "Oh, they didn't really want to talk to me in the first place." Mm, um, gotcha. Or if like one person. Didn't like me, it'd be like, oh, nobody likes you. They're just pretending.
0: Gotcha. Um, so it'd be like kind of it, a lot of insecurities,
1: a lot of insecurity, a lot of absolutes, a lot of mm. this thing happened once, therefore it is true of all situations. Yeah, kind of thing. um
0: It makes sense yeah. because that's a pretty. I mean, it's like if anybody's putting themselves in your shoes and thinking, okay, I have five, I don't know how many friends, like five friends Mm -hmm. from the earliest time of my memory to my like beginning of my adulthood, you know, like you start going into college and stuff like that. And then those five friends that you imagine the rest of your life with and never Mm -hmm. had to really like extend yourself outside of that group suddenly say, I'm done. Then you're like, I don't know anything else. Mm -hmm. i don't so this is all i've ever known now all i've ever known is gone you know Mm -hmm. and how can i trust that people aren't going to do that again when because time to some capacity time equals trust Mm -hmm. you know and i know for myself like um as someone who comes i come from a broken home Mm -hmm. so like my uh my step family, I have a stepdad and I have three stepsisters. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't just automatically get my trust, especially not my stepdad. Like no way Jose because I had two dads before him. Mm. And so they come, them coming in and then leaving, right, developed within me this period of time where I would say, okay, once we go past this period of time, then I would consider you someone in my life who's like concrete, right? Um, And if you had, like I, I only had a dad in my life mm-hmm. before my stepdad for, I don't know, like four or five years or something like that. So once we get past that checkpoint with my my stepdad now, who he's still my stepdad, um, you know, gets past that point, And then a few years after I can say like, okay, you're probably not going anywhere, right? Cause mm-hmm. like you, yeah. you've you made it significantly past the mark of any guy who's been here before and yeah. hasn't left. But for you, it's like this, it's almost like a up to that point in your life, it was like a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, now what is a friend? I feel like you're, mm-hmm. you're back at point A, like just the very beginning of your life in trying to define w- who are friends, what, how can I trust, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's a pretty yeah. significant place to be, especially yeah. when they were Christian friends.
1: Yeah. So it all kind of fit into like depression logic, so to speak, you know? Or it's very exaggerated. And um, I'd say, uh, you know, now that I'm trying to explain it, I'd say I'm pretty blessed to not understand my own logic anymore, <laughs> okay. um, particularly in terms of why I was suicidal. Mm. I don't really understand my own reasoning on that um it's mainly that like I just didn't it wasn't that like I wanted to die, I just didn't want to live, yeah, existence is pain in many ways Um, and you know for someone with mental health issues and for me physical issues as well I mean it is in many ways pain but um, with depression you can only see that with the sort of absolutes you're thinking like it's always pain and it's never not pain you know Hmm. Um, and somehow I convinced myself that the people around me were better off Mm. without me using up resources or something like that Mm. it's almost like a transactional view of my relationships almost that like i have nothing to offer or that i am just using up resources or something like that so it's
0: almost like um, it's it's less a transaction and more like a burden you know like
1: yeah yeah that like if in my mind it was supposed to be transactional but i'm not giving anything, then I am a burden. Mm. Um, I found out later in reading up about depression that a lot of people with depression use the word burden. Yeah. A lot.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, anyway, I don't really, I don't understand the logic, but, um, uh, at one point I had a, a day picked
0: or at least a weekend. um, It's just the AC unit. Oh, okay. We're just going to have to ignore that and hope that it fixes itself. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay. Well, at one point, I had a day picked, a weekend, rather, um, because there was, you know, there was an annual conference that we did in the summer. Um, You know, all the Brethren churches up and down the East Coast. uh, And... I didn't want to kill myself before then because I felt like it would ruin the conference, you know, kind of like ruining Christmas almost okay. you know, I was like, oh, gotta do it after so that people aren't upset um but then at at this conference, like despite nobody bringing up mental health in my pretty much my entire memory of discussions with the brethren. Someone, you know, had to talk about it. You know, they mentioned it during one of the gospel meetings. I don't know, and it caught me off guard. And there was different things that people said, not even necessarily to me, that were just kind of... The best way I can explain it is that the Holy Spirit was poking me. Mm. Um, uh, but not necessarily saying something in particular and I was just kinda of confused by it. Mm. Um and then um at the end of the week, very unexpectedly an acquaintance of mine pretty much literally dropped dead. Wow like I don't know the exact details. I think it was the heart condition or something, but, like, he pretty much, like, collapsed and was pronounced dead Mm. that same night. Um, and that was pretty crazy. I would say it was a sort of collective trauma, except that I haven't really talked to anybody else about it. Hmm. But I'm assuming it's a collective trauma. I mean, all the girls, they, I mean, it was, you know, at night, so we all all had to go back to our, our dorms, but everybody was just weeping openly mm. for several hours. Um, you know, and m- not all of us were friends with him. I wasn't close. I was friends with his wife, but like it affected all of us and yeah i i don't think people understand how deeply that affected me because you know i wasn't friends with him and mm. i was like when at certain points i tried to explain pe- to people how upset i was and stuff but like they were like oh yeah we all miss him we're all sad and i was like i don't i don't think you understand he you know, he died at the end of the conference and his wake and funeral were on the weekend that I had originally planned to kill myself. Mm. And I took this as divine, as divine intervention. And I even got like a little bit of survivor guilt because, Mm. you know, with, you know, depression logic again, I was like, Oh, if I hadn't been so sinful in, wanting to kill myself then god wouldn't have killed joey wow which you know looking back that makes zero sense it had nothing to do with me yeah that isn't why god had um i know god had reasons for it and Mm. that he did work through it to speak to me but yeah i'm not why yeah but that was sort of the logic I was in. I, was, I had that, and I was also angry at God because I was like, I'm the one who wanted to die. Why would you take him who didn't want to die? Mm. Why does he get to go home? And what is there that, I mean, if you have a plan for me to do, like if you left me here, you have something for me to do, but what could I do that he couldn't have done? Hmm or that he couldn't have done better. And I'm, you know, in this church structure that I was in, um, men were allowed to do so much more that I couldn't, that tied in too. I couldn't quite grasp what God would have for me to do. That was so important. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it took me a long time to deal with that. Um, A couple of years before uh, someone finally told me that God doesn't need a reason to save me Mm. like we don't care for our children because our children are going to um, do something massive for us we don't take care of our children because they'll pay for our nursing home or anything like that which you know so, so you know that does happen in families there is some I don't want to say paying your parents back for raising you, but...
0: It's like shining gratitude I think. gratitude, yeah. but
1: uh, that's not why you feed and clothe your kids. You feed and clothe your kids because you love them. Yeah. And it took me legitimately years after the incident to fully accept that I, that God didn't need me to do something massive in order to justify keeping me alive wow and secondly that what god could be calling me to do was is such a much broader range than what i thought it was Hmm. you know
0: Hmm.
1: um yeah so that was that was it was a weird time um as if that wasn't enough signs from god he basically gave me like almost this, a sign or an omen of sorts like the day after the funeral uh which really will not make sense to anybody except me okay Cause, like you had to you had to know how i thought and what i thought about things i don't yeah involved raccoons and it's not going to make sense <laughs> to anybody but okay Suffice it to say, God gave me a sign that only I would understand, and I straight up had the biggest panic attack of my life. Wow. Because God was speaking to me. You know, it had reached a threshold where I was like, none of this is coincidental. God is talking to me. God is talking to me specifically, which kind of goes against the sort of deist mindset that I had that God is not involved in my life that God had Mm. a general will for me to fulfill and that he was you know he you know he'll just you know see me when I die you know it was like very clearly God saying I am involved with your life I see it I understand what you're going through that everyone around you doesn't understand you know Mm and yeah, and I don't really again, I'm going to put these caveats in all over the place I don't blame everyone around me for not knowing because I was pretty good at masking and I didn't for the most part, I didn't really try to tell people yeah, what was going on and the, there wasn't really a culture of vulnerability so to speak and, you know, this Even though I, you know, started making friends, you know, after the breakup with my original friend group, but we weren't, like, so close that I could tell them, you know, about my mental health. Yeah. There were a lot of things around that time that, um, seemed really minor, things that people said or you know, little acts of kindness that really kept me afloat um, long enough to get help and you know they're really unaware of it like people think that like oh to help a friend with depression like you might have to talk them out of being suicidal or something like that but it was a lot of really small things or even things that weren't directed at me Hmm. You know, like for example, there was a family friend. You know, I was eating dinner with some family friends, and uh, one of the daughters came home, and she was like, "Yo, if they make us run laps one more time at soccer practice, I'm going to kill myself." And the dad was like, "Don't do that. We don't want we don't want you to do that." She's like, oh, "Dad, it was a joke." And I was like, "But internally, I was like, I was." touched by him taking a joke seriously yeah almost like somehow that encouraged me that he would care mm. if I told him what was going on mm. <laughs> there's just so many things like that so many things I'm grateful for that people you know if I told people they'd be like I wasn't even talking to you man <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but, yeah it but was like the sincerity
1: yeah yeah God worked through a lot of things and a lot of people that you know, weren't even aware. Hmm. So, you know, sometimes when I'm like, oh, I don't feel like I've spread the gospel enough. I don't feel like I've done enough to help other people. I just remember, like, a lot of people who helped me didn't know it. Hmm. So I've probably helped people. Yeah. And not know it. Um, back to back to Jesus. Um, I... You know, a lot of people with their testimony, they uh they relate very deeply to the prodigal son, especially people who, you know, weren't Christian their entire life or they went and lived a non Christian life during some intermission in their life or something mm. like that. But uh for me, what really touches me is the parable of the lost sheep which is only like three verses long really Mm. but um with sheep when they run away from the flock it's not like they're being defiant
0: Mm.
1: you know they've gotten distracted or they got startled and then once they're out there you know either they're injured and they can't come back or they're scared and they hide rather than trying to find their way back you know and stuff like that so I feel like that's a lot closer to my situation Hmm. and I feel like I was running toward a cliff and like Jesus just comes out of nowhere and like grabs me by the hind legs and starts dragging me away from the cliff and I'm like, "Ah!" (laughs) I'm just like objecting the entire way back to the flock because I didn't, I felt like I didn't belong there almost. Hmm. But he was dragging me back into it. In fact, that's my answer. And they asked, like, oh, so why why are you a Christian? I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus Jesus dragged me into it. I don't really <laughs> have a choice. Um, but yeah, so I had you know, I had a lot of deep conversations with, you know, once I joined InterVarsity in college and then, you know, after, later at Emergence um, with mentors and leadership. Uh, and stuff about things and you know gradually I learned I really have to keep my eyes on Jesus mm. not necessarily on the Christians I mean we do have to live in community and it was vital to my recovery to be in good Christian communities Um, but you know to keep following the shepherd we're not necessarily following the other sheep you mm. know if we're all following the shepherd, we're going together as one flock. We're going in the same direction, but we're not following the other sheep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I got help. I got therapy. I made it through. You know, I'm not entirely better, but I am better. Um, and You know, once I worked through a lot of my mental health issues. I still had a lot of spiritual baggage mm. to work through. Um a- after stuff like that, eventually I hit a point where I just could not I just couldn't stay with the brethren anymore. I I could I could deal with some minor disagreement about doctrine and stuff. I could deal with it but um you know, just being around other Christians in like introversity and stuff and being like, Okay, these are people who don't believe exactly what we do and they are on fire for God. Yeah. They they do care by, about the Bible. Just because they don't take it completely literally doesn't mean they're not taking it seriously and mm. they are pursuing God passionately. In fact they're in some cases more you know, pursuing it more than people in the Brethren, especially in terms of evangelism. Mm. Um, and like I for a bit, I was like trying to like be the change I wanted to see in the church, yeah, you know, try to push things, try to start things, but there's only so much you can do mm. um especially in my situation, since I couldn't really lead certain things, you know being a woman, they wouldn't you know how much I could do was limited, mm. Um, yeah, I, leaving was not just like, some people are like, oh yeah, you know, why in introversity, they were like, okay, so why don't you just switch churches? I was like, you don't, you don't understand.
0: One does not simply Uh, switch churches.
1: Yeah. I was there for, I think by the time I left, I was there for 22, 23 years. Yeah. Um, and it was like my extended family. I am, even now I am still even though I'm not, I don't hang out with the brethren much. I'm still closer to some of them t- to my actual extended family. Mm. Um, and it was, it was pretty much a way of life. It wasn't just a church; it was a social group, and it was a, it was a worldview. It was.
0: It was like a family. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't just something you could switch. Yeah. Um, I did think about leaving for a long time before I actually did. And when I did, it was because I had found emergence and seen, you know, their dedication to going through the scriptures and going in deep and, you know, their deep love for God and for community and stuff like that. So I I never went church hopping. Yeah, and I, I didn't really do much comparison. It was just like I wanted to leave the brand, didn't go anywhere. Someone invited me to Emergence for some special event, and I was like, "I think I'm going here." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I think, you know, I thank God for that. That I didn't have to church hop because I'm a very introverted, very shy person. I really yeah. wouldn't have enjoyed it, but um, yeah, and it's been. been rough but it's also been pretty great at the same time so
0: that's awesome yeah i feel like you know the the kind of like the big takeaway which i think is really cool like the lesson the i think i if there was one lesson that i've learned from Mm -hmm. like your testimony is to follow the shepherd you know Mm -hmm. not not the sheep kind of you know like don't allow the um, don't allow Christians to be the the reason that you leave your relationship with God. Yeah. You know, like that's, I've seen that in my own friends, you know, um, some friends that have just left the entire body of Christ, but even more so their relationship with Christ because of a few Christians who mm-hmm. they think, oh, well, they're not acting like Jesus would act, so I'm just done, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's difficult, but I think it's a place that a lot of people tend to go you know and i think for you to be able to come out of so much pain um and confusion and um you know i'm i'm assuming probably feelings of betrayal to some capacity it, it's, it's the way it seems at least not mm-hmm. necessarily that all of that was at least with the way that you're saying not mm-hmm. necessarily all of that was their the intentions but more so the feelings of of the yeah. moment um it's it's honestly I think it's a beautiful testimony to be able to mm-hmm. see that you still chose Christ despite the fact that yeah you were so hurt by his, you know, sheep. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, although you chose him at the same time, he his pursuit of you was like relentless, you know, and I think that's yeah. that's really like an incredible testimony and glory to God moment of just being able mm-hmm. to see again. And time and time again in people's testimonies, we always see this Like, God is like relentlessly in pursuit of the individual, yeah. you know, like he's in pursuit of you. He saw you. He saw everything that you felt, you know, was broken, like about you, everything that you felt was a burden to those around you, you know. And he said, like, I don't, mm-hmm. that you're not a burden. Like, I, right. I love you, you know. I want you to be like a part of me. I want you to abide in me, you know, mm-hmm. like, and. And, um, although you might say that, you know, he dragged you all the way back, he didn't Mm -hmm. drag you at the same time, you know, like you chose him too. And, and I think that's worth like noting.
1: Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with a friend, uh, not long ago, but she went to a Christian college. So she went, she knows, you know, a lot of Christians and where they were before and after college. And she said that she has met quite a few people who have gone through sort of like religious religious trauma and spiritual abuse feel like very extreme terms in my situation. I feel mm. like that those are very strong terms. I'm not sure if I would consider them that, but stuff along those lines. Yeah. And she said that the majority of the people she met who went through similar things either became very progressive Christians with a very loose interpretation of the Bible in order Mm. to sort of justify it, you know, to sort of reconcile it within themselves or they straight up don't walk with Christ anymore and they're not Christians or they don't go to church. And she said that I was kind of unusual in that I kept going to church, I stayed a Christian, and I also didn't flip to a different end of the spectrum in terms of denomination. Yeah. Um, She said that was unusual, and I was like, oh, I guess it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, that is, there is blessing in that, that I didn't drop everything. And I don't know why I, you know, why God pursued me so hard or why, I somehow stayed with God in the church and other people didn't. And, you know, I I hope it is encouraging to people who have, you know, struggles within, you know, interpersonally within churches that they don't let that reflect on their view of God. But at the same time, um, when I was going through a lot of questioning and some deconstruction and reconstruction, uh, it was really annoying if people were like oh you shouldn't leave your church because of this or this or this Mm. or being like well if you can deconstruct you should do it this way Mm. um some just some people's advice to people who have uh, who have gone through similar things or people who are deconstructing it's just kind of out of touch so i don't know
0: so be advised yeah be advised (laughs) i mean
1: i hope this is encouraging but i don't have answers for anybody on how to get through it
0: yeah yeah other than allow christ to pursue you yeah you know and get I'll therapy try. yeah i think you know a, a lot of people who come on to the show like they and are sharing their testimony it's like a both and you yes. know it's the pursuit of christ it's also therapy yeah. it's also uh, a willingness to be vulnerable you know like you can't grow if you're not willing to open your heart up to growth. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm a huge advocate for therapy as well. Um, you know, I went to counseling when I was in college and it was like a big part of, um, you know, my growth out of a lot of sin and very dark times in my own journey with, with Christ. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a big advocate of that. But um, that's awesome. I just want to say mm-hmm. thank you for being like vulnerable, yeah, and kind of carrying us through like your story, and mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think it's incredible. I think you, you know, you did a great job at at pointing out the the beauty of Christ, and also that the parable of the I love the way that you explain the parable mm-hmm. of the of the lamb and going after like the one. Um, I think that was really cool. I, I think there's a lot of aspects of your relationship with Christ that many people will resonate with um mm-hmm. and you know i don't i don't think we've necessarily had someone who has come on and talked about their experience with the church like explicitly in that way mm-hmm. um and i know you're also coming from a loving perspective too obviously yeah. you know like the the brethren is not someone that you hold any kind of uh negative you yeah. know i mean feelings it- towards
1: Yeah, it was my my main anxiety in coming on the podcast wasn't public speaking or being vulnerable because I've done both before. It was this, you know, overarching thought like people in the brother are going to hear this. My parents are going to hear this and I don't want them to think that I hold this against them. I don't want them to think that I, you know, I don't see them the way i saw them when i was depressed you know the depression was lying to me and i don't want this to you know and i don't agree with a lot of the brethren doctrine anymore but i don't want this to sound like i'm just trashing their theology or anything yeah
0: you're not you're not coming against them you're yeah you're i think what you were doing was you're you're talking about your journey and the processing that you had back then but also right. like how kind of christ has brought you out of that way of thinking but then Mm -hmm. where you found yourself now is that you're not necessarily still you know going to go back to your you know old church Mm -hmm. like where god has you now is emergence yeah and i'm not a pastor of emergence i don't go to emergence i have no dog in the fight but i think that you know if god has placed you where you are and you're in pursuit of christ and you're you know deepening your knowledge in the word of god and you're serving god like there's no better place than there you know that the brethren could ask for because you you mm-hmm. haven't you haven't left your relationship with christ you haven't mm-hmm. you know forsaken the the values that you know i'm sure they hold to be true which is the forgiveness and you know reconciliation and redemption that comes with your relationship with jesus yeah exactly um and that's the most important thing you know that anybody could really ask for one of their brothers and sisters in christ to, to have so mm-hmm. i think that's awesome um so having looked back so much Real quick, where do you see things going forward? You know, is there any place maybe that you can see God kind of calling you to in in the next, you know, few years, months, weeks?
1: I don't know exactly. I still don't know what I'm doing with my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But I recently have sort of realized that I, you know, having God, speak to me so clearly in the past in certain situations um I'm now like okay what do I do next and I feel like I've been waiting for him to you know c- come in with a big neon sign telling me what to do next um and I thought about it and I'm like you know maybe I should uh, pursue God instead <laughs> yeah yeah and um, you know pray about things and yeah. uh, not wait around for an answer and maybe just, you know, just go for something. Start doing something. If you know, uh, you know, following God's general will and just trying to, you know, do do something to help further the mission of Christ, even if it's not the one thing that God has specially called me to do. Just you know, participating in the church and following God in general. Yeah. I should just be proactive in that until I get other instructions, so yeah. to
0: speak. Totally. I agree with that. You know, one thing that um, Jesus calls all of us to do is to go and make disciples. So yeah. that's always like a a really easy fallback slash should be everyone's default. <laughs> to, yeah. to just be on the ball and, and always making disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's awesome, yeah. Grace Ann. I, I appreciate you so much in, mm-hmm. in sharing all of that. And for everybody who's listening, um, if you think of Grace Ann, pray for her. When, when you get the opportunity, um, pray for her and, and pray for those who maybe have a similar story as her. Uh, and, you know, if you also resonate with her, um, you know, don't, don't be afraid to, to let her know that this was something that was impactful to you. Um, feel free to share this with others that maybe you think have a similar story as her. Um, and yeah, and, like I said, Graceanne, thank you so much for being vulnerable, um, for sharing your heart and ultimately for, for really bringing glory to God by allowing others to know what God has given you the strength to be able to endure and where he's brought you in life. And for for everyone else that's listening, thank you for joining us and we will catch you in the next one. Goodbye.